what an amazing, authentic soul Bryony Gordon is. Eternally charming journalist and a brilliant advocate for women. So straight talking where not only is her mission about empowering women, embracing our flaws and helping take the stigma out of mental health, but she's also just so vulnerable and open to helping people through her own journey. Bryony talks with this vulnerability that I don't think I've witnessed on the podcast so far. And this is series 19. This is a podcast that I think is going to not only resonate with you, but it might make you pull up your big girl pants because potentially there's some deep work we all need to do. Potentially we all need to be brave like Bryony. Maybe that's the mantra that will come out of this podcast. Regardless, I know that you're going to feel uplifted full of energy and full of gratitude that we have women like Bryony who are willing to do the hard stuff. Enjoy. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. Hi, I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. I founded my first business, Not On The High Street, at 28, with a newborn strapped to my chest. Nearly 20 years on, he's all grown up, and I'm running my second business, Holly & Co. I've learnt so much about taking risks, running a business, and some extraordinary life lessons along the way, and I know others have too. Yet despite the wealth of experience we have between us, lessons like this are often left unheard and it can feel like we're travelling our paths alone. So I've reached out to founders and those who simply inspire me to share their hard-earned wisdom with you. My hope is that collectively, these remarkable realisations will help you on your own journey. I like to think of it as inspiration for life. If you enjoy this episode, might I ask you to share it with a friend and to like, subscribe and review it so that together we can ignite people's passion across the UK. Now, let's begin this week's Conversation of Inspiration. Bryony, I'm so happy to be sitting here with you today. You're one of the most celebrated journalists, best-selling authors, Yes, that's you tackling taboo subjects with your everyday charm and candour. And you're always, always doing right by us women. That's the intro that I wrote for you today. Well, that's so nice. And I'm going to, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to thank you and allow that in. I'm going to allow Allow that intro because that's just really kind and lovely. And... I'm all about this year allowing in the compliments and not doing that thing, you know, where like yes. someone gives us a compliment and they're like, that dress is nice. And you're like, this old thing, it's from Primark, even if it's not, even if it's like it cost you 200 quid or something, you know, and then you take the compliment and it's like you rip it up and you throw it on the floor and you set fire to it and then you spit on it and you turn it into an insult. That's what women do. And I'm do. like... I was sitting there listening to you going, no, I'm not. I'm, I was All I could focus on was the discovery I made yesterday that someone I really respect and like and 
who I don't think I've had any falling out with at all, has unfollowed me on Instagram. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but I must be a loathful, a loathsome human being because of that one thing. You know how we like focus on yes, the like. Yes, absolutely. The 1%. Let it all in because I think you're one of the most wonderful humans. And I think oh, we're thanks. bloody lucky to have you. And this whole podcast is about celebrating you. So welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. I wanted to go straight in, if that's okay with you, because... Although it seems like a while ago, we are yearning for the sunshine. And I have to say that following you this summer on Instagram, I absolutely loved what breath air you sort of shone uh, through in those little grids. And I felt so energised seeing all you do. And I love the pictures that I saw in the Big Body Confidence Beach Day out in July. Now, I'm looking at a photograph of it. It's all of you in bikinis, in the water. You've got your arms thrown up in the air. Tell me about that day, because it was as if you you think that by showing your body, right, yeah. and being confident, it's a radical feminist act. And I'm the one that now needs to absorb this bit. Well, you know what? I'm really, it's really interesting using that, describing that as a radical feminist act, because actually, uh, uh, yes, it uh, sadly it is. <laughs> But it yeah. shouldn't be. Yeah. So yeah. I so I had this idea, Holly. And by the way, I think you're bloody amazing. Um, <laughs> so I've done a lot of stuff. For, I'm not going to say body positivity because it's not even that. And I, I'm aware that that phrase has been sort of like co-opted and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and used in all sorts of strange ways that kind of that forget its roots, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I... Uh, it was more about it was yeah body confidence or uh, I've run I ran the London Marathon in 2018 in my underwear to show the exercises for everyone you know like I don't want to describe myself as a larger lady I'm just a lady <laughs> you know who happens <laughs> to have a body and my body happens to be shaped the size it is which is a, like an 18 to 20 you know so Yeah, but I love exercise. It's transformed my mental health. I've suffered from addiction and obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, throughout my life. And exercise has been a really great way to help it. And it's not it's not been about exercise for the way it makes me look, but exercise Mm. for the way it makes me feel. So I, I sort of accidentally stumbled into that as a as a sort of an avenue of my journalism and campaigning. And ever since then, I've sort of It really makes me sad to think of like all the time that we have spent hating Mm. on, or like all the time I've spent hating on myself. Like people often say to me on Instagram, they're like, I wish I had your confidence. And I kind of want to say, I don't have confidence. Confidence is a trick, you know? What I have is, all I have, not all, but what I have is a desire not to spend, waste any more of my time on this planet hating on my body. Because... My body is amazing. Like, my body is allowing me to talk to you right now, Holly. Do you know what I mean? And Mm. every day, my body does all sorts of incredible unconscious things that I'm not aware of to keep me alive and to allow me to experience the world. And it just makes me really sad that so many women, and I appreciate it's a a male thing too, but, you know, my experience is is of, of this as a female. And... I just kind of want to do everything I can to kind of counter that. So anyway, I had this idea in the spring where I was like, what if I did an event where like I just got everyone together by a body of water and we all got into bikinis and went in the water and 
And specifically, I wanted it to be for women that were scared to do that, you know? Yes. So so not so much women who are like already really kind of confident, yeah. which is great. <laughs> like, I love that for them and us. But um, I mean, it was like I was really like flying by the seat of my pants. Do you know what I mean? Like my very, my large <laughs> pants. Like I didn't, I didn't know... I just kind of made it up as I went along. And I was like, email me at this email address if you want to come. And uh, someone in Brighton. And what happened? Well, like 80 women came. Like we had this amazing Incredible. afternoon where there were women, honestly, Holly, there were women who had like never got in a swimming swimsuit. In No. Yeah, no, they hadn't done it. There was one woman who'd never got in a bikini. And... What was really great is I got lots of different people to get involved. So like this underwear and swimwear company who go right up to like larger sizes came along and they like measured everyone to show them like they they fitted them and they were like, no, look, this is amazing. There is stuff that you can wear. And there was this one woman, I remember, I was like on the door of the venue that we had got to, you know, to do all the kind of workshopping stuff in. And I saw this woman walking down the road and she kept stopping and sort of looking down. And I thought, oh, oh, she's coming and she's really nervous. And I sort of went up to her and I was like, are you here for the big body confidence event? And she was like, yeah, but I don't think I can come in. And she was like, she was having a panic attack. Like she oh was, she couldn't breathe. And I sat her down and said, you don't have to come in. You don't have to, like, let's just sit out here yeah. and wait. And she was like, thanks. And we sat and we processed. Anyway, long story short, she ended up coming in. We did this, I had these amazing women with me to do like sessions of like little grounded meditations to make people remember what legends they were. And the underwear brand gave her a bikini and she got in it and she went and we walked down the street. So the venue was like a five minute walk from the beach. So there were like 80 women of all different shapes and sizes walking down the street in Hove. in their bikinis <laughs> to get to the beach and then we did pilcharding which is like because it was the, the the waves were pretty like strong um so we kind of sat and got ourselves wet and and just squealed with delight and laughter and there was like this massive crowd of people like cheering us on and it was honestly the most uplifting day and I kind of like I'd love to formalize that in some way and it doesn't have to be just about swimming or bikinis you know I I have this kind of notion of every size which is exercise Mm. for everyone do you know what I mean Mm. and I saw when you created that on Instagram I was just shouting at the phone how clever is that Mm. I mean just brilliant so many people get in touch with me and they're like I'm too scared to start running so running is like the thing I love doing. So at the moment, I'm training for this crazy, crazy challenge. challenge. Yeah. So in tell April, everyone. Okay, in April. I'm. I don't need asking twice. In April, I'm going <laughs> to run the Brighton Marathon, and then over two weeks, I'm going to run from Brighton to London. And then when I arrive in London, Holly, do you think I'm going to put my feet up and relax? No, you're not. No, what no, are you going to do? I'm going to do the London Marathon. I don't and even what. <laughs> You're going to be one of those people. The people you that you go. People? Well, that you go. You know, when you normally see, you know, this like epic um, person in like sort of the desert, and they're going to do like the ultra marathons, <laughs> and they're going. To, and you're literally going. How are we the same cells? What? How can you do that? Yeah, you're I'm going, going to be, be one. Of, you're going to be one of those people that can yeah, do yeah. that. But I won't be in the desert or somewhere nice. Like I won't be on my, you know, like running across America. You know, like in the, yeah, you know. 
beautiful, epic, amazing yeah. pictures of just yeah. like the wind in your hair and I'll things be like, like that. No. Rolling up, I'll be running up the A3. <laughs> A bit sweaty. But, you know, like... I, that is but, incredible. And I wanna, well, I'm doing it to raise money for Mental Health Mates, which is this not-for-profit organisation I set up eight years ago, which is like walks for people who suffer from mental health issues. But I'm also doing it to show that exercise is for everyone. And I, yes. I'm just so sick of that sort of notion that there's sort of gatekeepers of exercise and there's you have to do things at a certain pace or you have to, yeah. you know, like I don't do exercise to be like the strongest or the fastest or the quickest. I do it yeah. to be the kind of happiest and it really the does happiest. make a difference. Like it's very and, and difficult I, to, sorry, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm literally talking like a lunatic, but it's very <laughs> difficult to be in a bad mood and have low energy when you're exercising as much as I'm having to at the moment. I'm like, how, how much, what, what's amazing? your training? What, what are you doing? What type of training? So today is my one day of the week that's a rest day. So, uh, lush, um, I'm running four times a week. One of them is a long run. So like last weekend it was 12 miles and then two of them are short runs, but they're still like four miles or whatever. And then, and and then one of them is, uh, like speed work, which makes me laugh because I'm like, yeah, well, watch me do speed work. (laughs) Uh, and then I'm doing strength training twice a week. Yeah. I, I mean, I follow you, so I know quite a bit of what you do. It is quite incredible. Going back just to what we were talking about in terms of that, and then I'm going to get into you because I'm going to take you back to when you were we're little. We're going to be here all day, um, aren't we? I know. I'm just like, be prepared, everyone, for the longest podcast you've ever listened to. <laughs> um, we're part of that generation, I think, that grew up on Diet Coke, Special K, Fags, um, I was a I was a consulate girl myself. Um, uh, silk cut and then consulate. I think Doc Cotton was the only other person that smoked consulate. Wow. Um, and I and I like that. But um, self loathing and our bodies and feeling like almost that this was the default that the, yeah. there is sort of a default in all of this. And I think that certainly for me, and I'm I'm 46 now, and I'm only, I would say, since lockdown, starting a bit of a journey, I think I had a moment to pause and maybe bring exercise in and then realise that maybe I could be on the top of the to-do list, not the bottom, and all of these sorts of things. But and people listening out there, what do you think we could do more of as women and society to try and accept our bodies because it is actually if you are I especially think if you are from that era mm. it's bloody hard because I've been hardwired yeah to not. well it's so interesting because I was actually thinking about this this morning I, I was sort of writing a column about um there's this stat that's come out in Spain that like a half of Spanish men think feminism has gone too far and it sort of made me laugh because we get these every couple of years, you know. And I was right. reading up about this book called Backlash, which came out in the 90s, which was all about that sort of the backlash in the 80s and the mm-hmm. 90s to all the feminism of the 70s. And I do very much think our generation really got sucked in by that. So so you had all these oh. amazing women in the 70s who were burning their bras and at Greenham Common and everything. Yeah. And then... You know, the the reaction to that, which doesn't even it doesn't necessarily look obviously like it's the reaction to it, but is is that sort of thing of 
telling people that feminism has, it's done what it needs to do, but now it's making women actually miserable. And what was so interesting, I remember about the 90s, was it was really that age of like, culturally and in the in the, in the media and politically, there was a lot of stuff about sort of teenage pregnancy, Ladette, yes. Ladettes, you know, Ladette, yes, Ladette yes. culture. But also like, you know, it's really interesting to me that the biggest figure culturally for women in terms of literature was Bridget Jones, you know, and then, and it was all about this sort mm. of feminism or oh, this, we're in this terrible quandary because while we want to be liberated, we also want to have a man. And, you know, and look what this has done to us, uh, you know, and it's led us down this cul-de-sac where we're, we're going to li- li- end up like sad and lonely <laughs> being eaten to death by our cats, you know. And like that was absolutely what the 90s was about to me. Yes. It was like, look, this is what's happened. This is where your feminism has got you, you know. And, you know, I see now that that was in part, that was actually all of that was sort of, it was anti-feminism. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It yeah, really, really putting, was, yeah. and it was trying to part... sort out the past almost, yeah, trying to rewire. And, and and this happens periodically, and we're having it now again. You know, like has feminism mm-hmm. gone too far? You know, are we now discriminating against boys and men? And I'm like, a better question for for you to ask than has feminism gone too far is like. In Iran, can women leave the house without hijabs yeah. on? No. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. did the UN yeah. recently declare that it would be 286 years or something until women reach parity in terms of like legal rights? Did the EU this very week that we're talking announce that they couldn't include rape in a directive they're doing about violence against women because countries couldn't agree on a legal definition of it? Hmm. Right, I've gone off on one now here. But what I mean to say is, no, feminism hasn't gone too far. It hasn't gone far enough. But like, we are very much like all of this stuff, all of this self-loathing is absolutely Mm. part of that. Mm. You know, it is a way, it really is a way to keep us small. I mean, literally keep us small. Like you need to be smaller. If you want to be attractive, you need to be smaller. Why do I need to be attractive? Like why is Mm. attractiveness such a metric Mm. of of my mm. success and worth as a human. Like, it's a random mishmash of genetics. Do you know what I mean? People say to me, yeah. oh, you've got great eyes, Bryony, or you've got very high cheekbones. And I'm like, I haven't got fuck all to do with that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, this, it's this kind of... It's all, it's all about keeping us down. And so... So whenever but you find, I but I want to ask you something though. When sorry, you're saying I've gone, all this, I've really, no, no, I I've, know, but I'm, we, we're going to get back to the little Bryony in a moment. But this is too interesting, <laughs> and we're going to touch on all of this throughout the interview. But uh, when you talk, I I'm a brave woman, but I'm not as brave as you. And what I mean by that is when you say all those things. I am so fucking in agreement. I'm so tired. I am so tired of the way that my brain has been wired and that my yeah. all of my defaults all day long, all day long, how I think about myself, the quest for the body positive, the quest to be attractive, the quest to, you know, I, you know, I, I only wrote in my email, you know, I'm never going to have abs. My dad had a pot belly. My grandfather had a pot belly. I have a pot belly. And then I, I almost like for me, that's, I'm not, as far as you on the journey, but I really want to be because until I get to that point, I don't think the work can really even start <laughs> because 
I, I don't know. I just feel I, I look at what you're saying and I'm so in agreement, but I, I feel so um, inadequate to... But that's another way of shaming ourselves. That's another way we've been taught to, oh, well, you're not matching up to these ver- this version of feminism, so you're failing as a human. That's bullshit, right, yeah. Holly. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, And also, like, mm. you know, it's like men don't get asked about imposter syndrome. Men don't get yeah. asked about imposter syndrome. Only yeah. women get asked about imposter syndrome. And the truth mm. is, it's another fucking... It's yeah. another fucking. I don't think. I don't think people even consciously do this, Holly. I don't think people consciously no, no. do this. It's just it's so hardwired into us to kind mm. of question women and 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 almost like dress it up like we're trying to help them. Like, oh, you know, how do you get through imposter syndrome? You know, like to give us advice, give us tips. You know, and it's like I'm not answering that question anymore. I'm not yeah. answering that question yeah. anymore. Yeah, and like. And that's the thing. And what you're doing there is what's happening there is exactly what we're all we've all been programmed to do, right? Which is go, oh, I'm not as good a feminist as Briny. Like bollocks. Like that's bollocks. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, what? Just because you sometimes have feelings about and the other thing is to make really clear is like people look at me and go, Oh, she's so at home in her body. She's so comfortable. She doesn't, she doesn't spend any time loathing it. I do, absolutely. I spend a bit of time going, oh, I spend, you know, I'm quite neutral about it, Mm. to be honest, Mm. right? But, like, it's also accepting that that's okay. And just because you have those thoughts, it doesn't, you know, like, we can have a multitude of thoughts. Do you know what I mean? Yes. You know, and like we can think to ourselves, like you said, I'm never going to have abs, but I'm, I'm going to stop you right there and say you do have abs. Because if you didn't have abdominal <laughs> muscles, you you wouldn't be talking to me right now. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or you'd probably have to have a sort of, or you would I be mean, talking to me, Brad but you'd have like, abs. Well, like, but why do you want Brad Pitt's abs? I don't know, because that's what I'm talking about. That's what we're talking about, because there is a definition that you have been programmed into. So that's yes, what yeah. I'm... Yeah, but also, so like, my it's, little pot belly <laughs> has not been... Do you know what I mean? It's been with me for 46 years. It's so annoying. <laughs> I'm fascinated. But it's not annoying like that quote-unquote pot belly. Like, it's done... It's probably done some pretty awesome... Like, it's digested all the food you've ever eaten... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah, but it nutrients sit, to the body. It, it gets really uncomfortable in tight jeans. Let me, I'm going well, to talk to you. don't wear tight jeans then. No, like, I, know, I jeans. haven't. I've got elastic. <laughs> I have. I've done it. I'm making these moves. A while ago, I was talking to the team here at Holly & Co about why people don't seem to do more for Valentine's Day. Because every day we wake up with love in our hearts and very much want to show those around us how much we adore them. From the best friend who's going through the messiest divorce to the teenager struggling with exams or the husband who gets about as much attention these days as the invisible man. Not to mention mum who does so much for us all without even a whisper. Love seems to fill our hearts and our lives, yet we never really take the time to give it time. And maybe that's because we just don't have enough of it. So we decided to help turn a day that's meant to be about love into exactly that and give you everything you need to celebrate it all under one roof. It's not about the red roses. It's far deeper than that. It's a day to show those who's closest to you that you couldn't do this life without them. And if you don't have the words, don't worry. We've got all kinds of original, thoughtful ways to help you show a little love to all those you love. 
head to holly.co for ideas. Now, back to our conversation of inspiration. So listen, you grew up in London. You were one of three children with your parents um, and your mum, Jane, was a renowned journalist and your father, Jack, was a successful businessman. And although you've had a very... Yes, he was in my research. He was a successful (laughs) businessman. He'll love that. He'll love to know that. well done and all your successes. My dad is like... <laughs> like he's like he's sitting in his flat overlooking the West Way right now, going, Yeah, I'm a successful businessman. <laughs> but I you had a happy childhood, I read, and yet you were very shy and you were a very anxious child. And I'm quite mm. interested in this when I talk to you today, because <laughs> I would like to know, were you born? anxious and and shy or was that something that you think developed as 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 you grew uh, I don't know is anyone born anxious and shy you know I don't know it's a really interesting that's, question actually yeah that's what I was wondering I I mean I was it's it's, it's hard to believe now that I I was you know I was a shy child but I was I was like incapacitated by yeah I shyness. Read it was like painfully shy it was yeah like I, I couldn't. The thought of going to like a friend's birthday party and walking in, you know, like yeah. terrified me. Is that is that a, yeah, like a normal thing? I don't know. Maybe it is. Who knows? But I was very shy, and I was very like. I certainly certainly wouldn't have like pegged me as someone who would like happily later. In the thirties and forties, like walk out on stage or run a marathon in my pants. Transition yeah. that has been then. Yeah, I was very, I was really anxious. I mean, I was, you know, looking back, I was really unwell, you know, like we, we, I was called a worry, a warrior, you know, and, and that word was doing quite a lot of heavy lifting, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Which I think is, is the same for quite a lot of kids nowadays, but in the eighties and the nineties, you know, troubled children or whatever. I developed obsessive compulsive disorder at a very young age and it was really incapacitating and it, it sort of is the thing when I think about it has sort of run my life for mm-hmm. as long as I can remember and still to this day to a certain extent does you know I sort of lived in fear and I have to fight really hard to upend that and and kind of live in a faith I guess I don't mean in a religious way but like yeah. you know that it's going to be okay have faith yeah. that it's going to be okay I mean yeah I, I read that when because I'm just to the listeners listening I I read that you know you woke up convinced you were going to die of AIDS that mm. nuclear war was coming there were aliens in the attic mm. that you would fear for your parents life that you you see, we're talking in an extreme here that you were you were dealing with every single day. How did that show up at school? Did you enjoy school? Was that I mean, because that must have been a difficult, complex arena to to be in. Now I look back on it, I don't think I enjoyed. I didn't enjoy much of my childhood. Like my, that's not the mm-hmm. fault of my parents or anything. Like as I said, we had a very middle class upbringing, all of that. Um, you know, nothing bad ever happened to me. I just, yeah, I was a very, I was a very anxious child and read into that what you will. But like, I actually like just, I had this moment when you were just sort of reading that all out where I felt this real release, like come through me of like, sorry, like tears. And it felt quite, 
it felt quite good because it's like I can get into that state again still as an adult where I'm just in fear mm. and I'm like every every you know everyone hates me everyone's out to get you know like mm. I'm I'm bad I'm faulty I'm upsetting people and I get really stuck in it and then I sort of remember what it is and it's you know it's a it's a kind of it's a symptom of this mental illness that mm. I for whatever reason developed as a child yeah, I don't even know what the question was. No, but <laughs> I've lost track. No, I've gone off no, into a sort of no, like... but it is it is it's, it's an incredible, I would say, journey that you, in the right sense of the word, gone through, but still have to battle these things. And I think that one of the I want to touch on the moment that you realised, you know, when we have all of these issues, don't we? We 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 need the. My mum always said children need the phoenix. They need to know what their peacock feathers are. And they, if they can find what their peacock feathers are and just hold on to one thing that they're good at, then that can see them through. And I read that you were asked to write about a cheese sandwich. And You've I'm really wondering done if your you... research. <laughs> yeah. Hello. I'm interviewing Bryony Gordon. Are you joking me? I'm very impressed. Um, I... Well, I just I just thought that that was that was a it was cited as a moment that you realised that you might be quite good at writing. And yeah. have, ha, has that been a real help in your life to know that you're really good at something? Um, and tell me about this cheese sandwich. <laughs> because if a kid I just tell they they didn't ask you to write about cheese sandwich. It was science, wasn't it? No, it was a biology lesson and it was to biology, write about yeah. it was a, to write an essay about the digestion of a, t- a cheese sandwich. <laughs> I don't know why they chose a cheese sandwich. And I decided to write the essay as the cheese sandwich. (laughs) They imagined, like, from the point of view of the cheese sandwich. Can you imagine the teacher getting that? Shit, shit, shit. And then they get yours. And they're like, so what? I'm being swallowed. (laughs) Help. I'm being broken down by acids and enzymes. Enzymes. Enzymes, whatever it was. Uh, Yeah, now I've fallen down the esophagus. I got a cup. Don't know, but yeah, I remember the biology teacher, Mrs. Rennie. I remember her saying, she gave me a commendation, which is like, it wasn't like, I think in our school, we had like merit marks, like a merit mark was a good point and accommodation was three good points, you know? <laughs> yeah. There you and then go. a bad, a bad point was an order mark. And I can't remember right. what a really bad thing was. It was like <laughs> conduct mark. That was three. God. Anyway, but it's all coming back to me now. Anyway. Yeah, I did. I And I was like, oh, maybe I can do it. I've always, I've always, mm. always loved writing and when I was little, when I was younger, I used to sort of sit and just kind of witter away on a page by my, you know, in my bedroom mm-hmm. about nothing in particular. And yeah, I guess I I knew I was good at it, but I also, it was always tinged with this thing of like, oh, well, you're only good at it because like your mum's good at it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're, you know, <laughs> love it, you know like that, that self-loathing yes, yes. thing of like, oh yeah, well... Yes, um, easy for you, easy for you to do yeah. that. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if that's it's, it's helped be, as my mum would put it, that sort of the peacock feathers in your life that, you know, there's one it, within that self-loathing, you can't deny that you're good at something. And that's now we're going to talk about how this has just travelled throughout your life. But it then went into your internship at the Daily Express, writing columns for the Daily Express, Daily Telegraph, The Mirror, and throughout your early 20s before writing your first book, a memoir of this time in your life called The Wrong Knickers. I mean, Knickers really shown up in your life haven't they knickers and 
<laughs> you, you've got a, your pants. Uh, you know I mean? they, they've also uh, been yeah. constant in your life. I, I do you know that Ron Nickers story. <laughs> like, still, I I remember writing about that, like about 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 this man who'd given me back my knickers, and he was like, "These are pretty knickers," and I'm like, "Yeah, they are, but they're not mine." And <laughs> like the heartbreak that this man was not going to be my husband. He was not going to lead me out of that sad and lonely cul-de-sac where I was going to be eaten by my cat. Uh, yeah, knickers are, you know, knickers are good things. I love them. The wrong knickers. knickers yeah, I wrote that. I, I wrote the wrong knickers, like when my daughter was a tiny baby, like on maternity leave. I wrote, I wrote it while she was like asleep. Wow. You went right into detail as well because you look back and you had all these experiences, and yeah. you went into the details of your twenties. Um, and some of us would very much rather forget the things of our twenties. Yeah. Tell me when you when you realised that actually that was also another part of your peacock feathers, which was being brave enough to recall and tell it as it is. You know, actually. Many people with wrong knickers, right, would probably still be beating themselves up that they yeah. had a, uh, that they were, whatever. Let's say it was a one night stand. I'm not saying it was, but one it night was. stand and someone. Okay, it was <laughs> great. Um, those days, one night stand, wrong knickers. Uh, they were still at fifty, would be beating themselves up for it, and yet you started this this journey by letting it all out, and we all have the stories. We all have the stories, but we 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 shame ourselves with the stories. Well, I think again. shame is shame is the word there. Like I was just sick of the shame. Like, oh, because also I was like, I know I'm not the only person who's got stories like this. And I think the key of like every book I've written, and you know, it has been like, I want to write this because if it makes someone else feel better who's sitting at home shaming themselves, then it's worth it. Like, that was what The Wrong Knickers was about. Mm. It was like, mm. I'm through that now. I'm here. I mean, I thought I was through it. Of course, uh, the reality was I was still, unbeknownst to me, sort of like an alcoholic, you know, like, but, mm. it, but anyway, that's another story. But, um, uh, uh, yeah, so I, wrote, I sat down and I wrote that book because I wanted to say, well, look, here I am and I'm safe and I'm writing this book while my baby sleeps and I did all of this shit, you know, and it's okay. Mm. I don't know. I don't... <sighs> Like, I've been told I have no shame because of the way I can write about stuff that's happened in my life. Mm -hmm. But actually, the opposite is true. Like, I have so much shame, which is why I write it. And I always remember when I ended up in rehab, which I was lucky enough to go to to, to get sober. And I remember one of the counsellors saying, shame dies when you expose it to the light, you know? And it's <gasps> like, it's so true. It's so true. Like, for me... Wow. When I hear someone else say, oh, yeah, I've that's happened to me or I've done that, it's like, oh, my God, I'm not the worst person in the world. You yes. Know? And that's kind of been at, like, the heart of my whole career for the last, like, 10 years, I guess. Because yes. it was like, when I first wrote about the OCD, it was out of desperation. It was like, I know that there are people out there who have this type of OCD, but I've never met anyone and it was like, if I put this down on in my column, then either the police will come and get me and take me away. And at least then it'll all be, you know, we'll, it'll all be sorted. Or people will get in touch and I'll know I'm not mad or I am mad, but I'm not bad, mm. you know. So that was the kind of the heart of everything I've written. 
I think, and done in terms of mental health campaigning. And it's weird because I'm about to release another book in a couple of weeks. I saw you at the printing press. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's about binge eating and it's about like, you know, it's about hormones and the effect that has on mental health. But again, it's it's like my hope by writing it is to go, has anyone else gone through this? You know, yeah. has anyone else experienced this? Because well, I, it's, it's it's what you're magical at. You 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 expose things. You as you, I, I I'll never forget now what you're saying about releasing that shame and showing it to the light, and it and it and it somehow dis, disappears or becomes less potent in your world. When you did that first book mm. and you were struggling, unbeknownst to yourself, you were struggling, and you've referred to your addictions and things like that, and you basically started to become a public figure, I suppose, at that point in time. Were you quite a private person deep down, battling things that sort of weren't out there? What was that journey like? Well, it was weird because I was talking about OCD, but I I was in, you know, like, I think, you know, a lot of mental illnesses thrive in denial. You know, they tell you that you don't mm-hmm. have them, that you're just a dickhead. <laughs> And so some people have said that to me before. They're like, well, you wrote this book about OCD, but you were an alcoholic. And, you know, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you know that? And I was like, well, if everyone who was an alcoholic woke up knowing they were an alcoholic and then immediately that, you know, put that in a little, you know, neat (laughs) bow, you know, bow, tied it in a bow and, you know, in a box and put it away. Like life would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But that isn't what happens. And, you know, it was through doing that and it was through opening up about the OCD that I realised and I kept, you know, I was kind of immersed Mm -hmm. in the mental health community and I was, and I I realised that it was like the more successful I became, the more my drinking was like out of control and I couldn't yep. sustain it. And it, it was almost like sometimes I think that that all had to happen for me to get to the stage of realising I was an alcoholic and I needed to surrender mm-hmm. to that. I trust that it's all happened in the as it's supposed in to. In the right order. or in Yeah. The, I mean, the, you, you, you touch on mental health and I ask about this because there is a sort of narrow view, isn't there, of depression still, I think, and and how if you are depressed, how you should be behaving and 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 I know that you obviously battled for an incredibly long time, but you obviously held down a job and, um, you know, was a certain way to your friends and family. And I know obviously you have your charity as well. Do you think that this is something that is blossoming, that we are more aware now, or do you still think it's an issue? We're more aware of it, but like, I think the problem with depression and mental illness, as I said, is that it is... It isn't sort of binary as, I mean, it can be very extreme, you know, we know yeah. that, but it isn't yeah. just very, it, it doesn't just present in those extreme ways. And, you know, for me, it's like, I think it's been trying to accept that there are all these different parts of me that can coexist at the same time. So, you know, I often think writing is about, for me, has been about like making things neat, you know, mm-hmm. and like, and like making sense of everything. But actually, sometimes you just can't make sense of stuff, you know? Like I can sometimes beat myself up. I have been through in the last few couple of years, like quite a weird, tough, I suppose you would call it a depression, you know? But at the time I was like, you're just being a dickhead and everyone's sick of hearing about your depression, Bryony. Just shut up. Like, like it was mm. like as if like depression, like there's there's like a cap on on data yeah. for, you know, <laughs> mental health. The bottle's empty. You can't yeah. talk about it anymore. And, yes. And, you know, and I was like, I can't believe that this is happening again because I'm sober. And, you know, but actually I realised that 
It's like they say in 12-step programs, think of people like an onion and the layers of the onion come off bit by bit and you get to Mm -hmm. other things. And, you know, I realised that it was only by like being honest about the OCD that that I could then allow myself to be honest with with myself mostly about the drinking. And then it was only once I got sober that I could even begin to kind of confront all the stuff I'd been drinking on for so many years, you know? And so... What do you mean drinking on? Well, like the reason I drank, you know, the reason I drank was to kind of like to try and fill this hole in my soul or this kind of the shyness, the anxiety, you know, like you stop drinking and all of that doesn't just go away. You know, alcohol didn't cause that in me. Alcohol was my solution to that, you know, and you Mm -hmm. take that away because eventually it was causing more problems than solutions. Do you know what I mean? But you've got to find another, you've got to find another solution. And of course, that doesn't happen miracle. You know, that doesn't like miracle out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you've decided mm-hmm. to give up drinking. Here's a book to tell you how to live your life. Yes. You know, and, yes. and so I suppose, I suppose for me, I got sober in 2017. And then the first three, four years of that were really about the first three years really were about just staying sober and not picking up a drink and doing the work to make sure, you know, that was my thing. And then then you get yourself a bit to the stage where you're like, I don't want to pick up a drink, but you realise the thinking is still there, you know? The thinking is still there that led me to pick up the drink. And so it's then you realise what you were drinking on and what what was going on. And I think it's very common. I I mean, I'm, you know, I had a friend who said to me, when you get to about five years sober, you either go deep or you go out. (laughs) Meaning... (laughs) You know, you either go deeper, you know, you go deeper in to look at yourself yeah. or you pick up a drink again. And and that was that really matched my experience, you know, like it was really mm. hard, like five years, four and a half to, from about four and a half to very recently, really, was really, really tough, like hard work. But that's OK. You know, that's okay. Mm. What I've realized is it's okay. Like, no, no one promised me. Like, I don't, I'm not owed happiness the whole fucking time. Do you know what I mean? It's like, but I know how I can deal with that stuff without picking up a drink now, thanks to my way of dealing with it, is I go to 12 step programs, you know. Um, Can I ask you about being vulnerable here? Because here you are telling us all of this. And, you know, you, and I'm sure you have these people in your life as well, but. You know, you get to a certain age as a woman and you, you hope you've had all these lived experiences and you're moving forward. And actually, you know, the fascination of going deeper is 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 fascinating. I think it's a true benefit of aging is that you can, if you are willing, go deeper. You're really inspiring vulnerability. You're inspiring getting rid of our shame, all of these things. But there are also people who will not go there. They don't mm-hmm. want to do the work. They stand, as my therapist would say, on child's mountain and are not willing to go down into the valleys and 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 deal with the stuff and come out the other side and things. Do you do you think that you're more liberated and more you and more happy in the right sense of the word, having traveled this section of your life? As in, like you talked at the beginning of this podcast about exercise and what it makes you feel. Mm. And I, I understand it's like a, it's another type of drug, isn't it? It's incredible. The mm. endorphins are there. Would you say that actually doing the work 
and people listening haven't had addiction, et cetera, et cetera, but we still have got to do work. What would you say to those who might be standing on Child's Mountain and can't think of anything worse than opening boxes that they have tucked away? Well, I'd say just be interested about why that is. Like, I don't, I wouldn't judge it. You know, like, I think it's fine. I I think there are people who want to do the work and there are people who don't. And it's not. And the only reason I bring it up is because I'm talking about people who I know are not happy. Oh, right. right. Okay. I, so, so, so basically, the work, but are scared well, no, to no, do they it. don't want to. They're too scared to do the work and maybe not curious enough to do the work and sort of will live in this sort of, you know, there's so many people that will just keep living. Mm. And actually, when you go, are you happy? Are you really happy? Are you, are you full at all? Are you? Yeah. And, and, I mean, and, they, and they just haven't even gone there. And I just, and I feel like they're missing out. So I mean it only if they're not happy. Yeah, I mean, I guess, listen, everyone is different, you know, and Mm. everyone has and everything happens at different times for people. So, you know, like there may have been there was a time there was absolutely a time when I was one of those people not willing to do the work. You know, that was the whole of my 20s and my early 30s, really, you know, so like. I wouldn't look at those people and think, well, maybe, you know, like you have to go through what you need to go through mm. to want to do that mm. work, you know? And that's what I'd say. I, I, you know, I don't think I'm like a better, I'm a happier person. Because yeah, that's what I, yes. I, yeah, because of what I've gone through. And I, and I do sometimes look back at previous versions of me and go, oh my God, <laughs> you know, like how did you manage to stay alive on a day-to-day basis? I think for me, it's like I'm always I'm constantly fascinated by what doing that work brings up. And and by work, I mean it's like it's not like I'm sitting here like slogging over a book every day or but I do have to do certain things, I think, to keep myself safe and to keep myself on an even keel. And what does that look like? What's the well, work? Well, I you? go, to, you know, t- uh, 12-step meetings, I have a therapist. You know, it's it's like I'm, I'm, you exercise. I, read, I exercise. I read. I, you know, I don't pick up. Drink, I don't drink anymore. You know, I've I've had to do. You know, this layers of the onions have have come off. It's not easy, but it's a hell of a lot easier than the alternative. Mm. Is how I see it. You know. Yeah, and reminding I, yourself of that actually. Yeah, <laughs> it must yeah, be. Yeah. So it's like, well, okay, it's a pain in the ass that I've got to get up and go and see this therapist. I don't really want to have to sit with him and go over this these things, you know. But I know I'll probably feel better once I've done it. I also think sometimes I can get too, you know, like sometimes it's like. Let's just lighten up a bit. Like, I don't want to do the work today. I just want to have some fun, you know. I don't want to take myself so seriously. Um, And I think it's important to have, like, a bit of a mishmash of all of those things. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, like, the the listeners out there who, as I said, might not have uh, gone through any mental health issues, might not have any addictions, all those sorts of things. But I think everyone's got some work to be done potentially to be the happiest version. I only think that because I'm going through my own own process that actually over the years, I definitely would say every year I'm a 
uh, a more at peace human being than I was the previous year. Mm. And actually, that is something that I think we can be very, very scared about, especially because it is all mixed up in a fucking pea soup with what we were talking about originally, feminism and body consciousness and and how we view ourselves in the world and this bloody imposter syndrome and, and all these sorts of things. Do you think younger folk feel more confident nowadays to talk about mental health issues? Uh, yes, they do. But I, I think it's still hard. I mean, I think, you know, the very nature of mental illness is that it's hard to talk about it so like the thing all mental illnesses have in common is that they like they thrive by lying to you by telling you you're a freak by telling you that you're alone by telling you that no one's going to understand what you're going through so that that stigma is sort of a symptom in itself of mental illness if that makes sense i think that we're better at talking about it but there are still certain things we're not that great at talking about and I don't know like I, I think it's all going in the right direction but in many ways what would you say that we're not good at talking about well but the more kind of like I suppose the sort of spectrum of mental illness that perhaps inc- mm-hmm. includes kind of psychosis what you know you might have previously termed schizophrenia you know which we're now realizing is a sort of term that's back that actually covers a whole host of magnitude of of disorders and illness and everything but I I think the kind of you know the box is open you know and it's not it's not Mm. it's not going back in but um I'm not I'm not a young person and you know like I'm a I'm a middle-aged mom you have you you have a child are you optimistic for her I mean I'm much more optimistic for her I think you know like I I have to be I when you know, as parents, we don't want our children to be unhappy, right? And I think that in Mm. itself is a kind of like, that's our first mistake, you know? Like, obviously, you're not going to actively want your child to be unhappy, but you can't stop them from being unhappy. So Mm. for me, it's like, I don't want that. I don't want my child to feel, first of all, they're feeling the unhappiness, but then to feel sort of a shame for feeling unhappiness, like they're failing, you know? Like, emotions are there for a reason and they give us really bloody valuable cues about what's going on and what works for us and what what doesn't as humans you know and from the earliest age we're taught to shut them down you know don't cry don't be silly when you you know when you have a tantrum as a toddler you know and actually for me it's like do cry you know oh you're really angry. What's this about? Should we sit down and should we try and explore it? Please don't hit me over the head. Yes. Yeah. So I think we're definitely, definitely, definitely moving forward and things are getting better. So yeah, for me, it's about talking about the stuff. It's about acknowledging it and about it's about not judging it. And not judging it. And and and, and, and I love what you said, it, almost allowing it to happen and being there as a support to your child with what they're going through and opening up these conversations. And you you mentioned, we talked about mental health mates that you set up. Mm. Um, And it it started in this walk in Hyde Park that you you first did. You didn't think anyone was going to turn up. And then you just had these few people that did turn up. And starting this charity, was this a very important part of even your own recovery? Was this? Yeah. Was this? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I, it was, it wasn't, it was like, it was so accidental. Yeah. Like 20 people showed up, but then we did it the next weekend and then the next weekend and more people came and then people got in touch and they were like, can I start one where I am? And it's literally just a very simple idea, which is people meet at a certain point and go for a walk, you know, people that have had mental health issues and then they can talk. And because of like 
the nature of walking where you're looking forward and you're not staring mm. each other in the eyes, it's much easier to talk. Mm. Um, and it's just like a safe, you know, it's a place to walk and talk without fear of judgment. And and uh, only with you or other people can set up their own walks? Oh, no, no, no. Anyone can set up their own walks. So what Mental Health Mates now provides is the resources and the training to set up your own walk, right? So you become right. like a, it become you know, you can set them up in your own community. Yeah, and that's what Mental Health Mates does. I mean, I don't do it and you know, someone else does it because I'm terrible at administration and organisation and all of those things. How incredible. Uh, yeah. Um, it must be. Uh, so we people can go to your website, find out the information yeah, and they just basically... Put, well, you can either go to the website, type in, there's a little map and you type in your postcode and it'll show you what walks are near you. And if there isn't one near you, you can set one up yourself. And we'll show you how, and we'll talk you through and support you through doing that. You must have heard some amazing stories through mental health mates. Do you do you have any that you can share, or or what? They're they're just they're amazing people taking the walks. You know, like there is a woman in Beverly who she, you know, I think sometimes has like eighty people turning up at a walk. You know, and she goes <sighs> and she does walks around prisons and things like that. You know, so. For me, it's like hearing the stories of people really thriving in their own mental health, having to having been in very dark places and it enabling and through their own courage and their own, you know, being able to sort of, you know, get some agency back, some power back over their mm. mental health. So I, I, it's incredible. There's 150 around the country, you know, and, and that's not anything I dreamt. Congratulations. Look happened. at that. But I mean, it's... That it's is- it's it's amazing. An, yeah, it's I mean it's amazing because of the wart leaders. And um I'm just in awe of them. Which is why I'm doing and I'm doing this challenge to kind of like be able to raise funds so we can continue to support them. So it's quite hard yeah. as a little not for profit, you know. Like Well, you're gonna have everyone that's <laughs> listening to this back you. So oh, there well, you I go. Hope that's, so. that's that's a start. Founders out there, listen up. Throughout this series, I'll be handing this ad break over to our partners at Royal Mail. Did you know that according to Mintel's online retailing consumer report, more than half of consumers would be more likely to shop with a retailer that had made a clear commitment to sustainability? Very often we think about our packaging or about how our products are made, but what about the delivery service we use? Royal Mail has put a commitment in place and accelerated its ambition to be net zero by the year 2040. From switching to zero emission deliveries by 2035 and reducing single-use items or actively promoting reuse in packaging to joining forces with others to make a greater difference. They're working hard to not just nod towards being greener, but to actually achieving it. By using Royal Mail, you're showing customers that you take sustainability seriously and partnering with a delivery service that doesn't just get there efficiently, but in a greener way too. To find out more, head to royalmail.com forward slash sustainability. Now, back to this week's conversation of inspiration. Tell me how you navigate negativity. So if, you know, as I said, I'm admiring you Um, from afar, I follow you. I'm listening to you right now. I'm pulling so much strength from you. The little in my head, there is that sort of like, my God, you've got to let go of some stuff, Holly. 
And then you must have criticism, negativity. You know, you're in the public eye, you're a social commentator. How do you manage it? Because you're because you are mm. ruffling feathers and you are not doing the norm. Uh, I don't always manage it very well, Holly. That's the truth. Like it hurt, you know. It it comes at a price, I guess. You know, like I I find mm. it hard. Uh, the more kind of abusive stuff that I can receive, but so in terms of managing that, I I have very like, and I think it's a it's a way that anyone can manage negative thoughts and for me the most kind of pernicious and dangerous critical voice is the one in my own head so what happens is I read an outside critical voice and I see it as evidence to back up the one in my own head so so the person I'm following Mm. me and and not replying to my text or whatever I'm like that that's because you've done something wrong and they hate you and da, 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 da. like it could be for yeah, any so number took, of reasons so you took <laughs> what they were saying and you adopted it you, yeah it was evidence to what you already think you know about yourself yeah so what i mean to say is like if we go looking for evidence we will find it you know if we go looking for something we will find it so for me it's like catching that negative voice and going uh 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 not today like no we're not like this is a and and seeing it for what it is which is which is a sort of uh like a, a wiring pattern you know as you referred yes. to earlier that um that just doesn't serve me anymore it may have served me mm. when i was a child for some reason or i don't know why but it doesn't anymore as a 43 year old you know and mm. i i you know it's like someone said to me the other day you always reach for the nicer thought always reach for the nicest Mm. thought that you can and I was like no that's wrong I've got to be really critical of myself and hold myself accountable because otherwise I might upset someone or do something wrong and I need to be the best version of me and it's like (laughs) does that actually help us no to me it's just awful always reach for the best thought so like someone was saying to me like well maybe that person's unfollowed you because there's a glitch in their app or because I'm, I sound obsessive about this. I'm just using it as, as an example. Yeah, no, or, totally. you know, I'm just going to hunt or that maybe person down. Don't worry. You know, or no, maybe they've, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or maybe they've just got stuff in there going on in their own life that's got, you know, like they don't, who who cares? Yeah. Like who they doesn't They hate matter? pants. Do you know what I mean? They've maybe got they a version of pants. pants. Maybe, maybe they've got, that's, that's a thing. Maybe they've got their own issues with their eating going on and it's just too triggering for them it's, it's I don't know. too triggering like whatever like but one of the things you've said and I'm I, I'm thinking you know obviously as a product woman I I always and I love my quotes and my things and cr- getting get to a small business and then they make it beautiful um you said embracing your flaws is the closest you can get to perfection and that has been for the whole week since I've read that I just I it, it, it is such an evolved way of thinking. Do you do you really feel that? Yeah, yeah, I really do. Because you're you. It's you, and like flaw. I mean, also like what are flaws? Like we're all okay. The biggest lesson I've learned, I think, in the last couple of years, right, is that I always wanted to be good. Okay, I always wanted to be good. Mm. I was like, how can I be good? How can I cheer people up? How can I? How can I make people happy? How can I make people see that I'm good, you know? And actually, for me, what I've realised is I have to accept that sometimes I'm bad as well, and that is okay because I'm a human. Do you know what I mean? So it's like embracing those bad bits of me and integrating them and not judging myself going, how can I get rid of those bad bits? How can I be different? And going, 
No, Brandy, mm. this is normal. This is part of the human condition. You are not special and different. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You are not a psychopath. <laughs> you know, you're just a normal human that sometimes thinks really neggy things about yourself and other people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah. and that's okay. You are not the worst person in the world. And so I, I think for me, that's what it's about. Well, I think it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard, actually. And oh. it's 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 somehow getting on my wall somehow. And I'll, oh, I love it. I'll, I sh- love I'll it. share it with you when we do. I wanted to, before we leave, tell me about the book that I saw on the printer and when that's out. Mad Woman. Uh, yes. It's called Mad Woman, How to Survive... Survive. No, it's called, I should know the name of my book, shouldn't I? It's called, <laughs> it's called Mad Woman, Surviving a World That Wants You to Think You're a Problem. And it's out yes. on February the fifteenth, and it's all about um, it's all about how actually, spoiler alert, we're not mad. I'm not a mad woman. I'm a perfectly, uh, I'm one that's responded perfectly appropriately to the society in which I've been brought up. Do you know what I mean? And um, yes, and it's not. It's a wonder that more women don't. You know, don't wig out and you know lose their shit given the way the world is set up um so yeah but it's about my making us of, even more remarkable again yeah well it's just about how my experiences of like binge eating and I went through a really early menopause which was great fun but like I realized that that was like it was like this witchy magic it was like my body going are you going to deal with these things Briny? because if you don't deal with them you're not going to have a happy next 45 years of your life or whatever, you know. So so it's all about that. It's kind of like exploring how these things have made me realise I'm actually perfectly sane. And actually, I think that sometimes the, the most mad, quote unquote, mad among us are actually the most sane of society. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I, lo- I cannot wait. And for those of you who don't follow Bryony, there she was at the printers actually seeing it. Coming out of the machine. I mean, the machine. Is it called a printer? Yes, Holly, it's called a printer. Yes. Yeah, I felt like a Pop Idol winner (laughs) being taken to the factory by Andy Peters to see their first CD coming off the line. (laughs) Yes, I remember that. Oh, my God, Andy Peters. How is Andy Peters still look like when he was in the broom cupboard i mean he looks better than when he was in the broom cupboard yeah, doesn't he it's arguably he's, arguably he's, but he, it's, it's it's insane he's like isn't isn't he what the young people would describe as hench is hench the word like bill oh my so- god what does hench mean <laughs> i'm gonna look it up now hang on i might have to ask you to take it out is hench the abs oh yeah so hench is strong fit and having well-developed muscles I told you that I bet he's got abs that I want. <laughs> but okay, well, listen, you don't need <laughs> Andy, Andy Peters' Peter abs. abs. You have got Holly Tucker's abs, and those are the abs yeah. that are meant for and you, my in- love. Exactly. The invisible ones, deep, deep, deep within. Um, at the end of this podcast, Bryony, which I honestly, we've 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 held back making this a four-hour podcast, listeners, but I know you all wanted to hear us for four hours. At the end of this podcast, I asked people about um the journey as a roller coaster and the highs and the lows. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you would be brave enough to share what you would say has been one of your biggest lows. Oh, okay. Well, it's funny because I think my lows have all led to my highs, if that makes sense. But I think definitely 2022 
um to 20 to like the beginning of 2023 that year I was very low and at my I'd lost any confidence I had any self-esteem I had it was like it had been pulled out and taken away and it was horrible it was really really horrible like I just didn't I, I was paralyzed with like fear and and thoughts and thoughts of how awful I was um and that went on for like yeah quite a long time so that was you know like all lows feel like the lowest low when you're in them right I'm so sorry (laughs) so so like that that was really my I think you know that's the one yeah that kind of springs to mind most readily yeah and And what um, would you say conversely would be when the wind's in your hair you've got your bikini on you're standing in the roller coaster cart your arms are up and you're screaming from oh, the top of your lungs. Well, I mean, it would be like the big body confidence event. That was a great high. My daughter came with me. You know, it was wonderful. Oh, brilliant. Uh, but yeah, my highs are, do you know what? My highs are like the other day, you know, like just, I don't know, like last night, just, and this sounds so corny and I don't care. It sounds really cheesy and I don't care because I love cheese. But it was like last night making dinner you know, sitting down, having dinner with my family and then watching Traitors. Like, that's the high because it's so... uh, Because Traitors is really good. (laughs) I haven't understood what the hell it is yet. I don't even know what the hell. I'm writing it down. Everyone keeps... We, we won't, won't get, go in there, we but won't get how many this. times have I heard bloody the word traitors, right? But anyway, but, no, but, it's but like, the more normal thing, the, the, the normality and the peacefulness of that normality, maybe. Yeah, yeah, the safeness, you know, the safety. The safeness. And the, and the sort of like, it's okay, all is well, my darling. You are just, I'm just so, so lucky to have had this time with you. I can't even begin to tell you. I have followed you for so long. And when we met the first time and I can't tell you the nerves I had to even open my mouth in your presence. Honestly, I was just literally, I text my office saying, she's here. She's here, Bridie's here. And they were like, do it, do it, do it, talk to her. And that well, was we were how sitting I felt when I met you. We and were we sat next, next to, you. to each other. That was so nice. It was such a nice evening. That was evening. such a nice evening. We oh, well, stamped it was, into well, our clay. My my feelings about you are similar. So, you know, like Well, I I can't believe that, but I will take that. Take as that you compliment. Take yours. You take it. I'm going to hand over to you now, Bryony. Um I know that you have prepared a letter to your younger self. Um yeah. and I will leave you um, the microphone um, for your thoughts. Okay, so I've cheated a tiny bit because I wrote this letter a while ago before a book I wrote called You Got This, which was amazing. It was all the things I wish I'd known when I was 12 years old that I only learnt when I went to rehab. So, um, So it's kind of... Yeah, it's a guide to being fearlessly, unapologetically you. So I'm going to read a bit of that because, because as you'll see, it's basically a love letter to 12-year-old me. Okay, over to you. Amazing. Hello, you. Magnificent, marvellous, magical you. Yes, you. You with all the insecurities. You with the head full of dreams that feel as if they will never, ever be anything more than that. You. I have something to tell you and I'd like you to listen carefully. Are you ready? Okay, here goes. You are perfect. 
You were brilliant. You were neither too little nor too much. You were just right. You're more than just right. You are a total joy. You are glorious. You are great. You make me feel excited about the future, about all the possibility in your life. You make me want to be with you just for a minute to embrace you and let you know that everything is going to be okay, that everything is going to be better than okay, even if at times it might seem like the opposite is true. And I know this might be hard to believe because when we are young and actually when we are old, we're not taught to see ourselves as everything we need to be. Instead, we are often told to pipe down, to be quiet, to watch out, to conform. We're asked silly, tedious questions such as, what do you want to be when you grow up? As if you were a caterpillar waiting to turn into a beautiful butterfly and not a fully formed human trying to make their way in the world. When I was younger, I had plenty of answers to the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Though almost all of them were designed to please the asker and then shut them up so that I could get back to thinking about why I only had one eyebrow instead of two and what exactly I was going to do about it. When I grow up, I would confidently reply, I want to be a marine biologist, forward slash astronaut, forward slash lawyer, forward slash Arsenal player. Delete is inappropriate. I wanted to be all these things at once, if possible, so that people would gasp at my brilliance every time, didn't, every time I walked into a room. But the thing I really wanted to be more than anything else, well, I could answer that immediately. I wanted to be a little less like me. This yearning to be someone else was what fired me up on a daily basis. It was at the heart of almost everything I did. It was there as I desperately tried to make my handwriting look more like Isabel's in Lower Six. And it was there every time I dyed the mousy roots of my hair. It was there every time I walked into a party I didn't think I was worthy of being invited to, wearing heels that made the balls of my feet burn and a dress that made my whole body feel painfully self-conscious. It was there as I revised for exams and it was there every time I was interviewed for a job or went on a date. It was there every time I looked in the mirror. Why couldn't I be someone else, someone better, someone more glorious, someone like... I don't know, some imaginary female figure I dreamt up with the help of toxic advertising billboards and Hollywood movies. I wanted to unzip my scaly skin and slither into someone else's far smoother body. I wanted to have my brain replaced with one that wasn't so riddled with insecurities. This never struck me as anything out of the ordinary because it wasn't. I just accepted it as the norm, one of those irritating facts of life, like mad parents and annoying siblings or people wanging on about Brexit. My name is Bryony and I don't actually like myself was not a particularly radical statement to be making, given that everybody around me seemed to be making it too. This was the cultural status quo. We were women, so we had been born with two X chromosomes. And into those two X chromosomes, the DNA had been written that said we should always be yearning for someone else's DNA. I grew up in a world where nobody spoke about mental illness, where differences were disparaged rather than delighted in. Conformity was the thing that never ever seemed to go out of fashion. The media only ever really celebrated one type of body, thin, one type of skin, white, one type of sexuality, straight, and one type of emotion, happy. I could tick one of the boxes, but on the others, things were a little more complicated. All around me, people seemed to be putting themselves down, saying how much better their life would be if they could just lose five pounds, afford some new jeans and enjoy going to the gym. All around me were people who appeared to see compliments as the enemy. If one came near them, they had to set fire to it, then stamp on it and make sure it was dead. As a child, I absorbed this, just as everybody else did. It was not the done thing to accept yourself as you were. If you did this, you were in danger of being perceived as arrogant or up yourself or self-obsessed. Instead, I had to aspire to be something other than myself. 
Aspiration was sold to me as a good thing. To aspire to something was positive. To want to be better was admirable. But the problem I always found was that aspiring to be something else often came at the expense of being me. God. Wow. And it all started... I didn't really, like, sign that off. It was just, like, me reading. But it all started with a cheese sandwich. It just... (laughs) It all started... I mean, how beautiful you write. I went on a bit there. Oh, my God. Literally, that's where the three hours would have been. We would have sat here with me just saying, again, more, more. Thank you for sharing that. What absolutely beautiful words. I'm going to replay that over and over again because... I'm positive that so many people listening, uh, there'll be tears in their eyes that you have just, this whole podcast, actually, you've uncovered stuff for us. And I'm bloody, bloody grateful. I really, truly am. And so many people right now are applauding you, just so you know. So even though we're not obsessing and I'm going to hunt that person down, just that (laughs) one person who's unfollowed you. There's going to be hundreds now that are going to follow you to take their to take that space. Oh, Bryony, thank, thank you from you. the bottom of my heart. Thank you thank for you, being on love. Conversations of Inspiration. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this episode, can I ask that you share it with a friend and like, subscribe and review it too, so that together we can inspire even more people to follow their dreams, to build a life they love. Mm-hmm.